If we were meant to stay in one place, we would have roots instead of feet. Assalamu alaikum, welcome to the One Foot in the Sink podcast. My name is Anis and Foz is here. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. And our guest today loves to travel. It's Zara Chowdhury. Assalamu alaikum. So, Foz, you must have roots for feet. <laughs> I like to travel. What are you talking about? I don't stay in one place. <laughs> yeah, I definitely don't have roots for feet. And I don't think you do either, Zara, do you? I don't know. To be honest, Foz, I haven't met many people who don't like to travel. You're a rare breed. You don't like to travel? No, like he's just making this up as we go along, just randomly. <laughs> Of course I uh, like to I'm just winding him up. <laughs> Thanks, Elise. <laughs> he only likes travelling with people. He doesn't take the initiative and make plans. That's true, actually. I always went company with me. And someone to book your tickets and someone to plan the itinerary <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. And that. <laughs> all right. Are you guys ready to jump into the opening question? Let's yep. do it. This week's opening question is, you have an opportunity to create a new TV show. It can be set in any period in time. Which period do you choose? And which actor or actress plays your main character? So as usual, I'm going to start with you, Foz. Cool. This is a really interesting one. So I'm going to take you through my thinking process behind this. I was thinking about different periods of time and I thought, you know, what would be the most wild, crazy period of time? So I thought of Jurassic period. And in terms of the actor and actress, my thinking behind this was, so you're in this really crazy place, there's lots going on, there's like, anything can happen. So you're never going to run out of storyline. I thought, you know, if for some reason, I randomly thought about that cartoon, uh, Coyote and Roadrunner, Roadrunner cartoon. I don't know yeah, why. Uh, yeah, exactly. So then from there, my mind went to, that would be pretty cool as a TV show in the Jurassic period. And then I thought, who would be the good guy, the Roadrunner? And then I thought, that could be me. And then... <laughs> The bad guy, the one who's always getting, like, trying to set traps and always ends up getting hurt himself. That could be Anise. And so nice. that would be my thing. Jurassic period, Anise trying to always do something to me, but ends up getting hurt himself. So that would be the TV show. At least I'll be the creative person. All you're doing is just running around in circles. People would enjoy my creativity, though. I think they'd enjoy more you fumbling and just getting hurt. Like me in this podcast, pretty much. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What about you, Zara? Mine is so different to that. So I just thought <laughs> about a period of history that I always found really interesting. So I chose the 15th century and we would be on a merchant ship in the Indian Ocean going from island to island. So you'd be basically you'd follow the adventures of a merchant ship. But the modern twist would be that it's captained by a woman. And oh. I would pick Lupita Nyong'o as my starring person. Wow. You can say that's so well thought through. <laughs> and so, so refined compared to my crazy, wacky, random one. Yeah, it was a, diff yeah. a bit different. <laughs> yeah, a bit different. That would be quite a good show to watch. Yeah. Okay, so my answer, I'm going to be, I'll be honest with you guys, I'm making this up as I talk, so bear with me. It might not be very good. No surprises. <laughs> so my answer is, it's not going to be set in any period of the past. It's going to be the future. The future would be like a modern world where, you know, you have flying cars and I don't know if you remember Foz, but when we spoke to Peter Gold, you know, in the future, moss been floating in the air and that kind of stuff. My TV show would be all about the future, the future of a Muslim and how they live. We'll have floating mosques. Our stuff will be made of prayer pods. You enter a pod and then you get zapped all the way up to the mosque and then all the pods are lined neatly in a row, like 
you know, for touching Jamaat. each other. Oh, wow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You'll be so happy cool. with that because you're yeah. always, that's your pet peeve. So yeah, everyone everyone has a prayer pod and, and you can take it anywhere you want. If you're in the park, you know, you have your prayer pod, you stand in there and then do your prayers. And it would automatically face the Gibbler for you. So oh, there's yes. another problem there gone. You go. That's it. It'll be a documentary, right? Yeah, pretty much. It'd be like a David Attenborough type documentary. So I won't have any character that'd be narrated by somebody. And obviously, who better to narrate it than Morgan Freeman? Wow. You sure you thought about that on the spot? Because it was quite detailed. <laughs> You're either very good at thinking of stuff up on the spot. That was 100% thinking on the spot. The only thing I had in mind was future, but then the rest of it I made up. That was pretty good. I started picturing it as well. You're doing a good job there, Anise. Thanks. Okay, so we're going to introduce our guest now. Zara, thank you so much for coming on the show. No, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. Before we move on and find out more about you, I'm just going to read your bio that we put together. You're a travel blogger and the founder and editor of Sacred Footsteps. Sacred Footsteps is an online publication dedicated to spiritual and alternative travel, history and culture from a Muslim perspective. Sacred Footsteps provides articles and guides that aim to highlight aspects of history and culture that are often overlooked, as well as trends within travel and the halal travel industry. You also have a podcast where you deep dive into stories from different parts of the world. Today on the show, we want to talk to you about travel. We want to discuss trends with Muslim travelers, uncommon destinations which have a connection with Islam. But before we jump into all of that, Tell us a bit about you and where you're from and your family, your upbringing. Tell us a bit about yourself. Okay. So yeah, like you said, I'm the founder and editor of Sacred Footsteps. My study background is Islamic art and archaeology and history. I grew up just west of London in a place called Maidenhead. And yeah, I've kind of, I've lived there basically my whole life, apart from when I've kind of traveled around. I lived in Dubai for a while as well. So that's me. Wow. I'm curious to find out, like, what was it about mm. you and things that you've done in your life that made you want to go and setting up Sacred Footsteps? Well, so when I, after I graduated, I left university and stuff. That's when I first started traveling. And at that time, there wasn't really that much online that you could find if you're a Muslim traveler. Like, for example, you've got, obviously, you've got like Lonely Planets and guides like that, but they don't tell you where you can eat. They don't tell you where you can pray if you're a Muslim. So there was like, a massive gap in the market. I always had that in the back of my mind that that's something I would like to do. But then fast forward now, and there's many, you know, Muslim websites and things that focus on those things, particularly halal food. So for myself, I felt there was a bigger need for, you know, we kind of tend to think, I think, especially if you grow up in the UK, and if you're of an Asian background, you see Islam in a very certain way, mm-hmm. when the truth is, the Muslim world is huge, and there are Muslims in places that you may not expect. And I felt like there was a a real need for people to know more about those communities, just to understand better and also to go and visit them, you know, to like visit places that you wouldn't ordinarily think of visiting. So yeah, that that was the aim and the motivation behind it. Alhamdulillah. And what was your first trip when you left university, you went up on your own? What was my first trip? Well, so I, I didn't travel alone, like I have to say. When I got married, my husband and I we both, a big motivation for me getting married young was because I wanted to travel and <laughs> there was no way my parents were going to let me do that otherwise. But thankfully, my husband is the same. He has he has a travel bug. So the first place we went together was Tunisia. Nice. We went straight to Tunisia two days, I think, after we got married. Then we, we went from there on a ship to Rome. 
Then we stayed wow. there for like a week. Then we got on a sleeper train and went to Paris. And then we came home from there. So yeah, that was wow. our first trip. This sounds so cool. <laughs> That's a great trip. It was. It was fun. So um, I want to go more into Sacred Footsteps a bit. Before we di- dive into the story behind it, can you just give us like a high level overview of, you know, what is it all about and what is Sacred Footsteps? So we are a platform that focuses on spiritual and alternative travel. That's our main focus alongside history and culture as well, but all from a Muslim perspective. First time we went on to the site, Ganesh sent me like, check this out. And when you went on there, there's so many things that are like, wow, look at this. Wow, look at that. Oh, wow, read this. So yeah, like, and I want to go into some of that. But before we do, how did it all start for you? You know, you talked about your motivation behind it. You obviously came back from your first trip. Like at what point did you start putting this together and how did it all start? Yeah, so I think I had the name for it. Um, so I got married it was our 10th anniversary this year. After we came back from that trip, I think maybe a couple of months later, we went to Vietnam. We were there for, I think about five or six weeks, something like that. And it was at that point that I thought that I really want to do something. And I came up with the name and everything. It was years later that I actually finally did something. I don't really know why that is. It just kind of got delayed. So it's been running now for five years. And initially it was myself. It was just my work on there. But it was always intended to be more than just a personal blog. So I, I approached other writers, I approached other people I knew who had very similar, you know, who were very like-minded. Mm-hmm. And slowly people started to write for us. And then I feel like Instagram was a big part of it too. When Insta Stories came along, that propelled us to the next stage. And we ended up with people wanting to contribute to us without me having to really even approach them. I feel like people understood what we were trying to do and they they saw the need for it maybe and Mm. that's why they wanted to. But yeah, so over those five years, it started off with like a few of us who were writing for the website and now over time we've had maybe maybe between 40 and 50 people who have contributed either to Instagram or to the website and we have like a small core team now and the five of us run all the day in, day out stuff and then we've got a wider network of writers as well. Looking at your website, I did see that it's a really cool approach because you have quite a lot of contributors to the website and some really interesting articles, which um, I'm keen to get into some of them in a bit. But how do you go about finding all these people and convince them to contribute to towards your platform? I literally, I started off with people I knew. So just friends who I knew had traveled or, or, or were of a history background. And it, I don't know, it just kind of grew from there. We, we started off with like five or six articles on the site and people kind of, they very quickly bought onto the concept. I mean, I'm not saying we had, we were not, we don't have a huge audience even now, I wouldn't say, not compared Mm. to, you know, some other publications out there. But I feel like the people who found us early on have really stuck with us because they like the concept. It was just word of mouth. It was getting from people I knew who spoke to others they knew, and it just kind of slowly grew from there. I'm curious as well, like, because obviously you've got these contributors and do they have free reign about what they write about and what they post? Like, how does that process work? Because the content, when I look at the blogs and when I look at the pictures, it's all like, like, I almost want to read everything because like, even <laughs> the, the headlines, like following in the path of the prophet or five ways to get green in your t- retreat. There's so many different things that for some reason just catch your attention. You want to read it. How does that all yeah. come about? And how does you, how do you kind of put it all together and make it on, on point? Also, everything comes through the core team. Mm -hmm. So for a long time, it was myself editing everything. And now one of our other writers, Omar Rice, he kind of helps me on that front. So everything that's published on the site comes through the two of us. So we make sure it's all on brand and 
it kind of fits in with what we're doing. But I have to say we've been quite lucky because people kind of, um, you know, the ones who kind of read things on their first and then pitch something, they tend to get it right. Whereas people who don't maybe understand what we're looking to do, maybe their work doesn't fit in so much. Mm. So we are very picky with what we put on there. And yeah, we just we have to make sure it's all on brand and it fits in with what we're looking to do. So one of the blogs that you, it would be good to talk through any, do you want to talk about the coffee one you saw? Like that to me oh, was yeah. so interesting. Like, the coffee one caught my eyes. You have a article on your website about coffee and how it spread to Europe through the Ottomans. And I found that very fascinating because I've heard a similar story. And, you know, one of the things I find with coffee is that a lot of people have their own version of how coffee ended up in the Western world. For our listeners, could you explain how coffee spread through to Europe through the Ottomans because I think that's a really interesting story. Yeah, sure. So it, that article was written by someone called Giovanna. So what happened was people think that it originated in Ethiopia and then from there it went to Yemen. And there's there's a link between coffee and a spiritual or, or rather a Sufi master, I guess you would call him. So that's how it initially became a drink within the Middle East. It slowly spread to North Africa and throughout the Middle East, it reached Turkey. And then it was the Ottomans who first introduced this concept of a coffee house or a coffee shop. It was a place where primarily men rather than women who would kind of sit and meet, discuss politics, and a lot of poetry was read there. And it became a real integral part of culture. And then from there, it spread through Europe in two ways. It got to Paris through an ambassador of the Ottomans who was there in order to speak to the king. His um, reason for being there got delayed, so he ended up having to live within the city. And the story is he threw very lavish parties, especially for Parisian women. And through those parties, they became familiar with coffee and through the customs and everything else. And then 20 years later, somebody in Paris opened the very first coffee shop. Vienna was the other location where coffee reached, but that was a bit different. After the Battle of Vienna between the Ottomans and the Europeans, I think it was in 1669, something like that, the Ottomans were defeated. And the story is they left behind this big sack of beans and nobody could figure out what these beans were about. And then there was a spy who who had spent time amongst the Turks, who knew exactly what they were. And he was the one who told them how to make a drink out of it. And then, yeah, and then lo and behold, it became a whole culture there as well. So that's the story. That's the story behind it. And just to add to that, like I said, a lot of people have different versions of the story. One of the things I heard, which I found really interesting, is that spy that you mentioned. Um, so the Ottomans did not allow the export of the coffee bean or the coffee plant rather so this spy or one of the french ambassadors one of the two i can't remember which one it was they tried to smuggle the plant to france and then when he went to france um something happened and he got sent on exile Uh, they sent him to one of the french colonies in south america and he at the time took that plant with him the legend is that all the coffee that you find in South America has its origin from that one single plant that was smuggled from the Ottomans. I've heard that story as well. Yeah. Have you read, there's a book called The Monk of Mokka? I don't know if you've read it or not. Yeah. He's the one who told me the story. Oh, okay. So Mokhtar told me the story. Like I met him in Dubai and he was telling me the story and I was like, wow. Yeah. It's really fascinating. Um, He goes into a lot more detail than I have about the origins within Yemen as well. It's a really interesting story. It is fascinating. It's really interesting hearing that whole story and the work that goes into those blogs the research how it all links back to travel is really amazing thing to see 
Yeah, no, it's a fa- it's it's fascinating because it's one of those things that's kind of penetrated every part of life. Like every country has coffee, but it's amazing how little people actually know about its origins or you know where coffee culture even originated. So yeah, it is it's very fascinating. The other article on your website that really intrigued me was you have a piece about Lithuania. Oh yeah. There's a minaret called the Love Minaret. First of all, I had no idea that Lithuania had any connection to the Islamic world. But here we are, there's a minaret that was built by a person so that he could find a place to pray for him and his wife. Yeah, that piece was written by Tariq Hussain and his focus is all about uncovering this Muslim heritage within Europe. So he's got loads of stories like that. But yeah, that that one in particular is so interesting. And it's still there. It's like hidden somewhere amongst the trees. And when Tariq went, I think he had a map or something and he went and found it. So yeah, it's pretty amazing. How did he come across that story? He has so many stories like that. I don't know how he (laughs) comes across them. He does a lot of reading, I guess, a lot of research. It reminds me of Indiana Jones and, you know, you you find a clue. Yeah. (laughs) So the other part of the stuff that you guys do was, uh, and you mentioned it before, it caught my interest as well. What is alternative travel? Yeah, so alternative travel, that was our way of explaining. But yeah, I think um, a lot of people may be confused by that term. What we mean by that, so like I said, we focus on spiritual travel encouraging people to visit spiritual sites and things like that but we also encourage a different type of travel which is you know going to places like Dubai for example but seeing things other than you know what is expected if that makes sense so within Dubai because I lived there for a couple of years there are actually quite a few historical sites that people are not aware of so for us that's what we term as alternative like going to a place that maybe has a lot of tourism but not necessarily visiting those tourist sites going to see other things of value that maybe are not known about and so we have another we have another article like in the same vein about London as well within London there are some amazing historical sites that people don't really know about so yeah that's what we mean by alternative travel so just going back to the Dubai example like what Mm. would you say is the alternative place to see in Dubai So one of the things I would highly, highly recommend is for people to just drive out into the desert. And I mean, don't do anything silly, obviously, like research before you go. I'm not encouraging you to do anything silly. Like don't go too far off the road. What people don't realize is you can literally drive out into the desert, go off the road, lie down on top of your car and see shooting stars because you have to go far enough out that the light of the city won't obviously interfere. But, you know, there's amazing things you can see. Like I remember one time we went out and did that and it, it coincided with a meteor shower and it was amazing. Wow. Like that's one of my my favorite memories of Dubai. So yeah, there's that. You can go and do that. There are also some very interesting mosques. There's one in particular, I can't remember the name of it now, but it reminds me of a Hobbit house. It's like <laughs> it's very interesting. It's it's a bit different. But there are places like that. It's just they're not really going to be in the guidebooks. You have to go and speak mm. to locals and people who know and they can point you in that direction or my article the article I have on the site maybe that could help (laughs) I have one other thing to add for Dubai that not many people do and it's going to these small coffee shops or sandwich shops and ordering a karak tea yes we have karak tea on that list actually when I went to visit and used to always take me there and it was one of the things we just go get some karak try very fun very cool very cheap on the alternative travel Zara have you have you come across a book called Atlas Obscura I've heard of it but I've not I've not read it okay so I have a copy of it at home it's like a coffee table type of book 
It's quite interesting what the authors have done. They've put together the most obscure places around the world that you can visit that is not really talked about. Like, so they'll have a museum for、oh, okay. know, hands in, in the US or something like that. Sounds interesting. And the best place to start is obviously the city that you live in, because obviously the city that you live in or surrounding areas, there's going to be some obscure museum or some obscure activity to do. It was pretty cool. Yeah. No, that sounds really interesting. I'd say actually one other thing in regards to Dubai. I used to work for an organization called the Sheikh Mohammed Center for Cultural Understanding. And one of the things they do, their like headquarters is in a traditional, traditional house that, you know, all the homes in Dubai would have been like that 50, 60 years ago. Now, of course, most of them are not. But so you can go there, you can see what. What the homes would have looked like because it's preserved exactly like it would have been then. And also, they offer a breakfast with traditional Emirati cuisine. So, all the food is made locally by、um, Emirati women as well.、Wow. Because there's not, you're not going to find that otherwise. You're going to end up eating you know, fast food or wherever. There's not very many opportunities to do that. So, that's another thing I'd recommend. And you can learn a bit about what Emirati culture is because people have this real misconception that. They don't have any culture when, of course, they must. Like, that's not true. <laughs>、yeah. And you can, you know, you can understand how their dress evolved, why they dress that way. And, you know, you may have seen, like, there are women who wear those gold masks. Yeah. You, have you ever、yeah. seen that in Dubai? Yeah. So they explain the、yeah. significance of all of that as well. So it's actually really interesting. Wow. That sounds fascinating. One thing I want to just walk through. Like, how it would work. So, like, if I'm a young Muslim, I want to explore history of Islam and travel. What would you recommend I do? Like, I go to your site, where would you recommend I start? And what kind of things should I be looking at if I want to plan a trip or do something? Okay, so it depends. It depends on what you mean. Because, so we have, like I mentioned earlier, we encourage spiritual travel. So, that's more about going to places where, you know, like your intention is to get closer to God. Yeah. So, it doesn't necessarily have to be a mosque or a place like that. It's more about your intention and, you know, being in nature, places like that. So, we have that section. It's called spiritual travel. So, if that's what you're after, you can go there. But then we also have a history section. So, for example, Lisbon has a really interesting history. Like, some of it is Islamic, but because there was a big earthquake, a lot of the Islamic monuments were destroyed at that time. But there's still a really fascinating history there. So, we have a A really good piece on doing a historical tour of Lisbon. So you can go to that section for that. So it really kind of depends on what, what it is you're looking for. Because you're right, it depends what your mindset is. But like, I mean, for me, what really caught my attention was the, the spiritual aspect, right? Like, if I wanted inspiration, that I can go to there, I can look at, you know, what kind of stuff I can do, where I can explore. It'd be really cool to do that. Yeah. So for me, I like to watch that TV show, Ertugo. So,、um, it inspires me to travel to Turkey.、Yep. So,、um, where do I go? So, we have, we have just the article for that, actually. <laughs> so, you can actually <laughs> go and visit his gravesite and also the. So, I've actually never watched this program. I, I, talk, I feel like I talk about it a lot because of Sacred <laughs> Footsteps. I've never even seen the show. But,、um, yeah, we have this really good article written by somebody called Hamza who went to his gravesite and all the, some of the people that are on the show as well, who are his commanders, his family members. But there are tour guides who will literally do that. They'll take you from, there's like three cities you have to go to, and you can kind of learn about who those people were and go and visit their gravesites. Do you know what, what I was hoping you would say?、Um, <laughs> when he asked that, you should have said, Where should I go? He should have said Turkey and stopped. <laughs> 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 that's, what, that's what I would have done, Tunis. 
Um, so the other thing I wanted to cover was the trends. Like, what kind of trends are you seeing in the travel industry with Muslims? So I feel like there's two types of Muslim travelers. There are people who just want to go somewhere and have access to halal food, which is fair enough because obviously if you live in like a Western country, you don't really have that luxury. So, you know, you want to go on holiday and you want to be able to eat whatever you want to eat. So for those kind of people, they they tend to look for, you know, there's there are many halal resorts now. I'm sure you guys have heard of them. So they tend to, you know, to flock to places like that. So there's many in Turkey. There's one actually opening up in the Dominican Republic as well. So they are becoming a bit more diverse in terms of location. But yeah, so you've got that side. But then the people that come to us are looking for more than that. They're kind of looking to immerse themselves in a different culture. So whether that culture is still a Muslim one, they may want something different to whatever their own background is. So for example, like I find many people of, you know, like a Pakistani background tend to go to places like Morocco because it's it's very different. It's so different from South Asian culture, but it's still Muslim. So you still have access to halal food and everything, but, and it's a place where you can go and you can hear the Avan and you're still in a very Muslim friendly location. And then I would say there are also people who are probably a smaller group who just want to go somewhere different. So those people will tend to go to places like Vietnam or Jamaica, you know, places like that, but they're there for a meaningful reason. So they want to they want to know more about the culture and they want to understand its history. I mentioned Jamaica specifically because we actually have a trip coming up as well oh. that focuses on the Muslim history of the island. That's something that many people don't really know much about, that actually Muslim roots there go back to you know, the so-called voyages of discovery, because a lot of the slaves that were taken there were of West African background. And yeah, there's like a really fascinating history. So I would say that's a trend amongst Muslims. I find increasingly that they want to diversify the places they go to. They don't want to only go to Muslim places. They want to go to other places and immerse themselves in different cultures. You mentioned that you have a trip coming up. So is that something as part of the Sacred Footstep platform? It is. So this year we actually did our very first trips, which were we did two tours to Iran. And now we're doing this one in collaboration with an organization called Burgundy Roots. We're hoping to do more trips as well in different locations too. Awesome. I'm looking forward to see more about the Jamaica. Like I never ever thought about Islamic history to do with Jamaica. Yeah. I'll be really keen to see more about that. One of the guys on the trip, he's one of our contributors. He's called Mustafa Briggs. And his work... You've heard of him? Yeah, because his his work is incredible because he kind of focuses on highlighting how deep the roots of Islam go into into West Africa. Again, it's one of those things that many people don't realize, but, you know, the Islamic institutions in West Africa are like a thousand years old and they're still running, but people are not always familiar with that. Many Muslims, I would say, particularly of like a South Asian background, probably don't even realize there are Muslims there, which is a shame. But his work really focuses on highlighting that and also the contribution of black scholars to our tradition, which is immense. Yeah, I was I was looking at some of your pieces when I first came across you and I was like telling Foz, check this out. Some of the stuff that really caught my eye was the stuff in Senegal and Mauritania. I always knew of the place, but I never saw it as a travel destination. I knew there was yeah. some Islamic undertones, especially in like Mauritania. But looking at the um, Senegal piece, it inspired me to, inshallah, one day travel to West Africa. 
Yeah, it's amazing how um, those institutions are still going. But no, people are increasingly traveling there from the UK. And I think that's partly because of Mustafa. He's really, you know, kind of raised more awareness of the place and kind of given it a bigger profile, I'd say, amongst people of his age. So I think, yeah, people are going there more and more from the UK as well, which is really good to see. Yeah, it sounds fascinating. And like, uh, it was really interesting when you talked about like the different types of trends that you're seeing. You know, you've got your halal foodie type people. And it made me think about a trip, one of my first trips out of school. We just wanted to go somewhere for that halal food or so like a Muslim country so we can binge. And I remember going there, it was actually Dubai. And then within one afternoon, we went Harvey's Burgers, we went uh, McDonald's, and then we had Pizza Hut all within an afternoon. Just wow. meat, meat, <laughs> meat. And it's because you're making the most of it. Like living in the UK, you get your normal around corner shop type stuff, but then you miss out on all these big chains and then you, yeah, make, exactly. you just go to a Muslim country and you just completely you just want to binge yeah, yeah yeah but the thing is I do understand that as well like I, I wouldn't look down on people who kind of go and do that because I completely get it like mm. you can't you can't really do that here so you just want to go somewhere and have what you can't have yeah exactly Foz remember on that trip because I was on that trip with you to Dubai do you remember um what we took back with us on the plane we had like 40 cheeseburgers underneath our seat oh wow like you took it back for the you took it back to the uk oh my god (laughs) well because because we had people said oh yeah bring us back a a cheeseburger so we had 40 cheeseburgers but between me and a mate of mine we actually finished almost half of them on the plane wow you've got to remember right so this was like probably uh, quite a while ago so it's not as kind of this is like early yeah it's not as big a thing now is it yeah exactly because you can get some really good halal food and burgers and stuff around locally but this was like yeah exactly you're going to a muslim country oh bring me mcdonald's or bring me burger king and stuff like that it was really funny but now i guess my mindset is you're right because you can't look down and stuff like that because people go through different phases in their life and they want to do exactly. different stuff like me what really interests me is exploring islamic history and going to like somewhere in the unknown and yeah. being being that brown indian jones like Tarek. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so um we're going to move on now to your podcast so just want to find out a bit more about you know what is your podcast about again it's similar to what we're trying to do with the site we're trying to highlight aspects of muslim culture that don't always get recognition or people just generally are not that aware of so i've already mentioned mustafa briggs he did an episode with us talking about scholarship in west africa and highlighting the role sufism played in that and also Mm. how empowered women are there in terms of scholarship because there's a real legacy of women who have contributed to that then we have another episode Similar thing, but on East Africa, looking at the roots of Islam within East Africa, which go back even further. Yeah. We have an episode on China, looking at the Muslim history there. Uh, What else do we have? We recently did an episode, we're doing a series now on looking at, you know, stories amongst people of different diasporas so we had one because with the situation in Sudan at the moment Mm. we thought it would be good to get the perspective of you know Sudanese people or people of the Sudanese diaspora because I feel like often when you know when something bad happens and a country's on the news because of that bad thing it's very hard to put it all into context because often we don't know much about the country in the first place so that for us was talking about about what it was like to grow up in Sudan or what you know what it means to be of the Sudanese diaspora and then we also one of the things we're increasingly focusing on is we talk a lot about 
Orientalism within travel photography. That's like a subject that's for myself. That's it's incredibly important to talk about that because you know, like we live in a, in the social media age, and you know, unfortunately, in terms of Orientalism, not many things have changed. So you'll find within travel photography a lot of the same tropes that are kind of racist, really, mm. still exist. So it's talking about those and then promoting an alternative. So looking at photographers from you know, from Ghana or wherever who photograph their own countries and challenge that dominant Orientalist narrative. And it's about promoting their work as well. And we call it reclaiming the narrative. It's like an ongoing campaign we have. But yeah, that's it really. That's what our podcast is about. It's about highlighting those stories that you don't often hear. That sounds so fascinating and something very different to what you would typically come across. So yeah, I'll check it out actually. Um, We just want to move it along to our tips for listeners section, Zara. So I'm a listener. I haven't booked any holiday for the summer. I have two weeks off. I want to travel somewhere where I want to reconnect with Islam in a certain way in terms of just seeing the history. So tell me, where do I go and what do I do? Okay, so if you're if you're based in the UK, I would say the place to go is Fez because it's not far away. It's a two-hour flight, I believe, two and a half or something like that. It's not that expensive. And that is the kind of place you can go and really you feel like you're in another world. So the old city of Fez is a thousand years old and most of it is still there. So the streets and the layout has not really changed. Right at the heart of the Medina is the Karawin Mosque which has an incredible history. It was it was set up by a woman um, and it's the oldest university in the world. So yeah, I would say go there because, you know, the day kind of revolves around the Adhan. So you, as soon as you hear the Adhan, you see people walk, walking to the mosque and walking around anywhere in the Medina, you're going to come across all sorts of maqams, um, which are places that they're places that commemorate scholars or saints who lived there. They either commemorate them or they're their burial place. So you can go and visit their tombs as well. But yeah, I would I would definitely say Fez. I, I think it's a place where you can really reconnect and you can walk down the street and end up in a dhikr session. Like, you know, there's Quran recitation happening all over the place. Every day in the Tijani Tariqa, for example, they have communal dhikr as well after Fajr and after Asr. And yeah, it's a really beautiful place. Wow, sounds amazing. And don't leave without a Fez hat as well. <laughs> you know, I don't think I've... I, you don't see many people with those hats on. Yeah, I don't think no, I have I think anyway. It's, it's more traditional thing now, right? I'm not sure, to be honest. I'm not sure. It is a beautiful place. It's probably one of my most favourite places in Morocco. Yeah, I, I've been to Marrakesh as well, but I, yeah, I didn't like Marrakesh so much, but I loved Fez. It comes across as a place that not many people travel to in Morocco as well. Like a lot of people go to Marrakesh, Agadir or to the north in Tangiers, but Fez often is overlooked. Yeah, that's true. I think in the last like five years or something though, that's again one of the places that a lot of British Muslim travellers go to, especially like during Ramadan. I went during Ramadan this year with my family as well. And if you can't go in Umrah or anything like that, obviously Umrah is not easy to go to during Ramadan. I would really recommend going to Fez because it just feels like you're part of something. Like during the day, it's quite quiet because um, a lot of the shops are shut. But then just before iftar time, all the shops open, people are running around getting, you know, food and bits for their meal. And then straight after iftar, like you get loads of people walking to the mosque and everything. And it just feels 
like a really nice place to be. Mm. I've never ever thought of that. I never ever thought of going on holiday during Ramadan and thinking, you know, going to somewhere like Fez just so you can immerse yourself completely into religion, into the culture, into the whole living your life around Islam, right? Because in the Western world, you're balancing work, you're balancing your normal day-to-day stuff with religion. But that sounds amazing. Yeah. A great idea. I think you're right. I think that, I mean, this year especially, I didn't realize how much I needed to go until I was there. Because you're right, you're balancing everything else and obviously nobody else is fasting here so you kind of yeah I don't know it just feels like more of a communal effort I guess if you're in a Muslim environment it's a great idea I'm adding that to the list as well I've got a long list already um (laughs) so we're gonna move to our not so quick fire round okay (laughs) so our first question is worst ever holiday or travel experience oh okay oh my gosh that's a hard one hmm Actually, (laughs) I know this is going to sound ironic given everything I've just said, but I did have one really bad experience in FES. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it's the very first time I went, we had a terrible experience in a Riyadh we were going to stay in because the owner turned out to be horrible and we ended up having to leave the Riyadh because he just was not a nice man. (laughs) But yeah, other than that, I don't know. I think I've gotten really lucky. I don't think I've had many bad experiences. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Anise? What's your worst? This won't really help you much in the marketing campaign for fairs. I actually also had pretty bad oh, experiences. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was the opposite of you, though, because we stayed in Riyadh and the owner was really nice. And I think he was like connected to a mafia or something like that because um what happened was so since we stayed with him he insisted on taking us on a walk on the main places in the medina so that people could see us with him and because of that whenever we walked in the medina afterwards no one really harassed us or anything like that in terms of like come to my shop buy this buy that but as soon as we left those couple of streets of the medina went somewhere else we just got harassed by all the people selling their trinkets and oh, yeah, it no. wasn't pretty good. Yeah, I know. But Marrakesh is worse for that, I think. Fez still... I mean, you you have it in Fez too, but I found it so much worse in Marrakesh. Yeah, you're right. Marrakesh is a lot worse than Fez. So go to Fez, everyone. Don't go to Marrakesh. <laughs> I, I think it's more to do with Anis. He just attracts really awkward, difficult situations. <laughs> so the next not-so-quick-fire question. Most memorable moment? Most memorable moment? Hmm. Traveling-wise? Yeah, traveling wise. Okay, so my most memorable one. So I spoke about this in quite a bit of detail in our very first podcast episode. So I went to Mauritania to visit a scholar called Murabid al Hajj. He was, at that time, he was over 100 years old and he is the teacher of many well known scholars, including Sheikh Hamza Yusuf. But he used to live on top of a mountain, like in a really remote place in Mauritania. So he was not very easy to get to. And we ended up getting lost and it was really hard to reach him. So for me, my most memorable moment would be like when we actually got there and just the relief that we felt. And it was just a really beautiful experience. So yeah, I'd say that. Wow. That sounds fascinating. The next quick fire question is your favorite historical character. Favorite historical character. Oh my gosh. 
Um, okay, so my favorite historical character is Imam Ghazali, but not for the reason you might think. I found his story really fascinating because in order to reach God or to get close to God, he underwent a physical journey. And I found that whole concept really fascinating, the idea of making a physical journey in order to make a spiritual one. And that that really inspired our whole um, the whole concept of spiritual travel that we have on our site. So for that reason, I would say him. Wow, that sounds really cool. It's a good answer. The next question is, where's your next trip? Okay, my next trip is in Peru. We're going nice. next month. And that is actually the trip I wanted to make first. So like, I remember when I was back at school and I would reach, read about Machu Picchu and that was like my dream trip and I'd always wanted to go. But then I ended up, when I had my kids, I was like, there's no way I'm doing this with kids. <laughs> so I've waited now for an, for them to both reach an age where I can just leave them with my mom. <laughs> and so I'm finally making the trip. Awesome. That's oh, wow. So exciting. you're going to have, an, have a trip without the kids. Like yeah, it's like I know even better, but it's the first time I've done that. So <laughs> let's see how it goes. My husband thinks I'm going to be crying on the plane, but <laughs> I don't think so. I think I'll be fine. Yeah, you're going to keep checking up on the watch <laughs> first time. <laughs> Either that, or I'll just forget completely. I hope it's an amazing trip. Thank you. Um, so our final quick fire question. So you have a bag for traveling, and you can only fit five things in it. What do you take? Okay, so I would take one of those roll up bottles you know there's like plastic ones you can roll up ah. or like rubber ones I would take one of those because you can use that to drink water and also making wudu and everything like that is covered I would take a like a shawl because again you can use that for loads of reasons you can sleep on it sleep under it etc yeah right I've got three things left I would take my iphone as bad as it sounds Standard. that's like that's multiple <laughs> things it's like a compass and yeah. a, you know everything in one camera um, and I would take a book, a reading book. But then I suppose you could always do that on the iPhone too, really, couldn't you? Okay, I'll take that one back. <laughs> um, I would take a notebook because I always take a notebook. I don't like typing. I'd rather write by hand. And I would take some moisturizer, hand cream. Nice. Good five things to pack. What about you, Nice? What would I say? I won't say five things, but I'll, I'll definitely take a foam roller. If you don't know what it is, it helps your muscles recover. And... I would take coffee. Nice. Oh, that's a good one. Your own coffee supply. Sounds good. Cool. So we're going to move on to close the episode. So tell us about, you know, what's next for Sacred Footsteps and where can people find you? So people can find us at our website, sacredfootsteps.org. And we're on social media everywhere, Sacred Footsteps. So next for us, we are hoping to do more tours. We're hoping to do more with this Reclaim the Narrative campaign. So promoting photographers and people who challenge that dominant Orientalist narrative. And yeah, just more more podcast episodes. We've got loads lined up already. Um, yeah, that's it really. That's us. Exciting. Before we let you go, Zara, we have one final question for you. The final question is, what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? Oh, wow. Fly. Wow, this is mm. straight off the That's bat. Good. No thinking. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. You could go anywhere you want. Yeah, exactly. That's what I would do. Cool. We just want to say thank you for coming on the show, Zara. It's been amazing having you on. I've got some great ideas or things that I want to do. So hopefully our listeners have taken something away and, you know, everyone's got something they're thinking about for the next trip. I mean, it's been great hearing, you know, how you started your story. You're doing amazing work. Keep up the great work with you and the team. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun.